Okay, welcome to RUF. I'm so glad to see you guys here. You know, we have we only have three more regular RUFs this whole semester, and then we have a we'll have a Christmas party right before exams, and a tear trickled down their cheeks. Uh, but I am I am really thankful to be with you tonight, continuing our series that we are in in the Book of Colossians, uh, that we're calling Jesus is enough. And we're being reminded each week that with all of our emptiness and fear, with all of our hope and longing, the only one who's enough for us is Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to see tonight is that Jesus uh, is enough when we slip and when we slip back into old ways. Uh, and what I want to do real quick before I, before I read the main body of this text is I want to read verses 6 and 7. These are also printed on your, on your handout if you want to look at it. Uh, verses 6 and 7 are sort of a summary of the whole book of, of Colossians and are really a summary of the whole of the Christian life. Okay, but it says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You have received Jesus Christ the Lord. The love of God has been given to you as a gift of free grace. So walk in him, so follow him, so live for him. And so what we're looking at in these next verses is really the the expansion of this idea. You've been given Christ, so follow him. So walk in his ways. Live, live for him. Uh, I, I want to mention one other thing. You're going to hear me um, read about circumcision in this passage, which is kind of like a weird thing for us to be talking about uh, and a weird thing uh, in, in our culture to be naming. But what I, when you hear circumcision, here's what I want you to be thinking about. I, I want you to be thinking about uh, what it means to belong. Because what circumcision is for the ancient Israelites and how it's going to be applied to us today is this is the mark on us, that means we belong to God, okay? So have that in mind as I read. Um, I'm going to read the rest of it, starting in verse 8 from Colossians 2, verses 8 to 15. Please read along with me. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. He gives it to us because he loves us. Pray with me and then we'll get started. Lord Jesus, we do uh, praise you as the Lord uh, and the giver of life and peace and love and everything that we need. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be at work in us right now through your word so that we might know you and love you more and love one another. Pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. My all-time favorite movie is a movie called The Shawshank Redemption. I don't know if anybody's seen The Shawshank Redemption. Um, overshadowed by Forrest Gump, which came out the same year, but I'm not bitter. Uh, and... Uh, the Shawshank Redemption is about this a group of friends who are in, in a prison called Shawshank Prison. Uh, and it's kind of this incredible movie about a group, of, a group of friends who are searching for hope 
in the midst of a dark place. That's, that's really what the, what the movie is about. But there's a, there's a part of this movie, and unfortunately it's a sad part that stood out to me as I, as I reflected on this passage from Colossians 2. One of, the, one of the guys in this group of friends is an old man named Brooks. And uh, Brooks has been in prison his entire adult life, and we don't know exactly how old he is. He's been in prison like 50 years for committing a, a terrible crime when he was a young, young man, probably younger than most of you. And he's the, he's the librarian of the prison, so he kind of helps deliver books to people, and he has this group of friends that he eats his meals with, and he has a little pet bird that he keeps in his jacket and feeds morsels from his, from his plate in the cafeteria. And even though Brooks is in prison, he has uh, what kind of seems like a pretty good life. He has a job that he likes. He has friends that care about him. He's, he seems like a pretty happy guy. But the day finally comes when, when Brooks makes parole and he's, he's released. And, you know, he's been wearing his, his prison clothes all the movie, and now he's in his old suit and tie. He has his bag, and he shakes hands with the guards for the first time in 50 years, and he's out. And he's finally free, free to do whatever he wants. And he gets put up in a halfway house. This is a house for people who are transitioning back into life, a, a place where he has a room where he can sleep. And he gets a job through his parole officer bagging groceries at a grocery store. Uh, and this man who has... Uh, not been free his whole adult life, is finally free, and he hates it. He can't stand how fast and busy everything is. He has bad arthritis in his hands, so he's not good at his simple job. He's lonely, and he misses his friends. And in this moment of defeat and desperation, he actually takes his own life. He's a man who was free but wasn't living like he was free. And that's what I think of when I think about this message from Colossians 2. If, if you're a Christian, and I know not everyone who comes to RF is a Christian, but if you're a Christian, then the message of the Bible to you is that in Christ you have been set free. You've been set free from sin and death into a life of love and hope and joy. But we often don't experience life like free people. We experience life like we're still imprisoned to sin and to death. We experience a life not necessarily of hope and joy, but of anxiety, of frustration, of loneliness. This is what many of us are experiencing even this, even this very week. And, and, and when we do that, we tend to, what, what I think this is really doing is we're, we're slipping back into old ways. It's kind of like Brooks was slipping back into the, the life of, of someone who was imprisoned even though he was free. We're, we're slipping back into a life of someone who's not free. And what we're going to see tonight is that even when we slip up and when we slip back, Jesus is still enough for us. And so what, I, want, I want to point out three things that Paul gives us to, to, to encourage us. The first is a warning that he gives us. The second thing is that he tells us our reward, and then thirdly, he celebrates the win, okay? He gives us a warning, he reminds us of the reward, and he celebrates the win, okay? So first, the, the warning. If you remember, we talked about the first few weeks, um, Paul, who's never been to Colossae, he's never met these people, but he's heard that there's a problem in their church. He's heard that uh, some, some false teachings have infiltrated their community, things that are leading them astray, things that are leading them to believe that, that faith and love towards Christ is not enough. And they need to do some extra things. They need to believe some extra things. They need to live in some extra ways. And we're not told exactly what it is. Some scholars think it has something to do with like angel worship because there's some indications of that in Colossians. A lot, there's, there's a lot of evidence, we'll see some tonight, that uh, the practices of Judaism, of the Jewish religion, were, were creeping in so that people were, 
living this life of freedom in Christ, but being instructed and believing that they actually had to kind of uphold these traditions of their former way of life. But whatever it is, there's, there's these infiltrations into their religion. And so Paul gives them this warning in verse 8. He's, here's, here's how he says it in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And th- this language, uh, see that no one takes you captive, it's, it, has, it has the sense of, uh, of a predator stalking and catching and destroying its prey, devouring it. The idea that these ideas that are influencing you to think that Jesus is not enough for you are going to destroy you. They're going to take you in, and they're going to and they're going to devour you. And, and, and I want to say this. I, I don't think Taylor or Chad or I don't know if any other philosophy majors are here. The point is not that philosophy is bad here, okay? Uh, he, he, he explains what it is, human tradition, okay? This is ideas. This is life philosophy that's based in the ideas of, of men and not in the ideas of God, okay? Anything based in the ideas of, of, of mankind and not based in what God says are going to lead you astray. And, and then he says uh, elemental spirits. And here, what, what he's probably talking about is uh, the kind of you know, local and even national deities that were worshipped and given tribute to in, in the ancient pagan world. What he's saying is that anything that is giving you ideas about your life that doesn't come from, from God and his word, you need to get rid of it. You need to run away because it is actually going to take you in and it's actually going to it's actually going to devour you. Now, uh, as far as where, where we are coming from, as far as how we experience this today, uh, most of us don't have uh, local deities that we are tempted to worship in our rooms. If we do, call me. We need to talk, okay? Um, but but we are, we are uh, sucked into believing all the time that there are things that we need to add to the Christian religion, Okay? And, and, and as I have reflected for, for me and for the, the many of you who I've talked to, the, the thing that stands out to me is the idea that uh, we can know and believe in Jesus and that he died to save us and that he rose from the dead to give us life. But the way we think about our value, the way that we think about our worth, the way that we think about our strength and our sufficiency is rooted in ourselves. It's rooted in what we do and what we accomplish and how we're perceived by others. And this sort of idea infiltrates our religion. It infiltrates our faith in Christ. Okay, here's how you know if this is, if this is happening to you, okay? Uh, you, you know Jesus, but at the end of the day, when you look back on what you accomplished, you feel like a failure. You feel like you didn't measure up. Or maybe you find it much harder to forgive yourself than you find it to forgive other people. Or maybe when you slip into patterns of sin that are hard for you to break free of, not only do you, do you hate that sin, you actually hate yourself. You actually consider yourself to be of some low class or worth. Maybe you have a hard time respecting other people who struggle with sins that you don't struggle with. These are the kind of indications that something is infiltrating our religion. This thing that Jesus is not enough. You need Jesus, and you also need to act in a kind of way where you yourself are accomplishing some worth, some sufficiency, some adequacy. And Paul says, don't believe it. Don't believe it. You are not responsible for your enoughness. 
And other people are not responsible for their enoughness. The thing that makes you enough is that you're in Christ. The thing that makes you worthy is that you are loved and forgiven by Christ. The thing that gives you meaning is that you are beloved of Christ. The things that give you purpose is that you are chosen as an instrument of Christ. And when these other ideas start to, start to, to sink into your mind, thinking that your worthiness has something to do with what you do, Paul says, stop, pay attention, and run the other way. Don't be taken in. It's going to devour you. That is not the true religion. Those things don't define you. Only Christ defines you. That's the warning, okay? Don't be taken in. Don't be taken captive. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Okay, the second thing is that Paul reminds us of our, our reward, and he does this in verses 9 and 10. This has become, uh, as I reflected on it this week, this is my, my new favorite verse in the Bible. This is a, this, I would say this is a tattoo-worthy verse, and I don't just throw that around, okay? Verses 9 and 10 say this, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. This is a, a recapitulation of what Paul said in, in chapter 1, 15 to 20, this idea that Jesus is the, the image of the invisible God, that Jesus himself is the one true God. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. Through him all things were made. And he says, this God in whom the fullness, this, this Jesus in whom the fullness of deity dwells, you have been filled in him. This is the reward for those who know Christ. You have been filled. You've been filled up like a cup that's overflowing. The idea is that you have been flooded by God with his love and with his power and with his presence by the Holy Spirit. You have been filled up. And then he goes on, and this is where he starts talking about circumcision. You have been circumcised with a, with a circumcision made without human hands. Circumcision is this procedure, this thing done to you by a priest that indicates that you are a part of God's people, that indicates that you belong to God. And what Paul is saying now is that you actually are all circumcised, but this is not a circumcision done with human hands. This is not a circumcision that that we accomplish. This belonging to God is something that happens without human intervention. It happens all by divine intervention. Your belonging has been accomplished completely by Christ. So that if you have a relationship with God, something on the inside of you is changing you from the inside out, which is really what the point of circumcision was in the Old Testament. That's why you can read in places like Deuteronomy 10 or Jeremiah 4 that what the, what the people of Israel really needed was a circumcision of the heart. You see this in the Old Testament? What we really need is to be marked by the love of God in our innermost being, on our hearts. And that when we are, it changes us. It actually transforms our lives. It actually fills us with love and the joy and the hope of God himself. You have been filled in him. And what we see here next is even harder to understand, at least at first. He says, you've been buried with him in baptism and then raised with him. Do you remember when we talked about that verse of the mystery that's been revealed, this kind of plan of God that was a mystery, that was a secret, that's now been revealed in Christ to all the people of the world, not just the Jews, but now the Gentiles. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is, this is the center of the gospel, is Christ in you, 
the hope of glory, this idea that you have been united to Jesus, that you and Jesus are one. So the death and resurrection of Jesus are actually a part of you and your story now. They are for you. The victory of Jesus over death in his crucifixion is for you. The victory of Jesus over over death in his resurrection from the dead is for you. So sin and death, the things that enslaved you, the things that you were a prisoner to, the things that you were not free from, you are now free from. That's your reward in Christ. And all of this is done by you? No. Not with human hands, but by God himself. And this is really... uh, This is really important because if God himself is the one who gives us this reward, if God himself is the one who frees us from sin and death, it means that nothing that you do can reverse it. Nothing that you do could have it taken away. Nothing that you do can negate it. So when you find yourself operating as if you're not really free, operating out of fear and insecurity, which we do all the time, we we can tend to look at ourselves and think about, how we're messing everything up, how we're missing it, how we're so far away from God. And we get in this cycle of of anxiety and fear and loneliness and frustration. Of course, it's in those kind of moments that we tend to make big mistakes that we regret, right? In those places, you cannot mess up the reward that's been given to you because it was not accomplished by you. This is the good news of the gospel, that nothing you can do can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus for you. Nothing you can do can mess it up, can negate it. Because this reward, this freedom from sin and death accomplished in Christ was all worked by him and not by you. That's the reward. So we're given this warning, we're told the reward. And then lastly, Paul celebrates the, the win. We're going to see language here of, uh, of victory. You're going to hear the word triumph. I, I'm going to read verse, I want to read verse 13 again here from Colossians 2. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, meaning, do you remember that Before Christ, you were spiritually dead and you were headed towards death. The uncircumcision, you you didn't belong to anyone but yourself. And it was leading you towards death. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us our trespasses. We, We tend to spend a lot of time and energy desperately trying to assert our own adequacy our own sufficiency, our own worth. That's what a resume is doing. This sense you have that you've got to do everything you can in these four years and in these four summers to make that thing look as much as possible like you are what worthy of the things that you want to happen to you in your life. This is you trying to establish your own adequacy. This is what we do on Instagram. Instagram is an, an, is, is an adequacy factory where what we're trying to do is we're trying to present to the world, look, look at me. Look how worthy I am. Look how strong I am. Look how powerful I am. Look how beautiful I am. Look how many people like me and accept me. Have you seen my likes? This is, this is the thing that determines how we act at parties. Like We want people to see that we have what it takes, that we belong to something. And what the gospel of Jesus does is it frees you from trying to be adequate on your own. It actually frees you to admit and embrace that you are not sufficient. This is one of the weird and even offensive aspects of the gospel. And and I'll try to explain, especially if you're not a Christian who's here tonight. 
Christians don't think we're better than everybody else. We actually are admitting openly we are not adequate. We are not sufficient. We are not enough. And it's okay because Jesus is enough for us. What this, what this verse is telling us is that your, your solution to unworthiness is actually forgiveness. It's not strength. It's not success. It's actually forgiveness. That's the thing you need. That's actually the thing that will set you free, that will allow you to embrace this reality. You have been forgiven in Christ. And all this, of course, is not something that we accomplish. It's all accomplished through this victory of Christ. And then to, to close it out, I'll read, I'll read verse 14 and 15. Having forgiven us all our trespasses, verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. We're getting a reminder here of like what our biggest enemy really is. It's actually the record of our debt against God. It's actually our guilt before a holy God. Our own sin is actually our worst enemy in this life. If God is as good as he, as he says he is. And Jesus wins against it because he nails it to the cross. He kills it. What, what, what happens to things on crosses? They die. In himself, in his own body. Your sin dies. And then he says this. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him or in it, in, in him on the cross. He triumphs over all the rulers and authorities. And when you hear rulers and authorities, this can mean so many things. Here's what I want you to think about. Any source of the idea that Jesus is not enough for you, any of these empty deceits, any of these human traditions, any of these elemental spirits, an institution, a power, a person, anything that is saying Jesus is not enough for you, that has influence over you, Jesus triumphs over it. This is the same, when, when you hear this word triumph, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about a king who goes off with his army to war against his enemies. And he wins the war and he comes back into his city in a victory parade and he's in his chariot and the people are lining the streets singing and cheering and before him tied up being led by soldiers is the king of the enemy nation that he has just destroyed in all humiliation and defeat that's what the cross of jesus does for the enemies of the truth it destroys them because you are free to admit that you are not enough and to find all of your sufficiency in the victory of Christ and his death and resurrection. <clears throat> uh, a few weeks ago, my, my family got invited to, to visit some friends in Colorado. We had a, we had a really fun trip, but uh, traveling with small children is very challenging. And we, uh, I, I, have, I have four, four kids, uh, as you may know. And uh, the, the way back was particularly memorable uh, you, you may not know that if you have a child under two, you don't have to pay for a ticket for them. You, you can choose to pay for a seat, or you can choose to, to have what's called uh, an infant-in-lap ticket. So I have a family of six, but we had five tickets. My ticket said Samuel Lovett, first name. Infant-in-lap, okay? And so uh, this plane, this three-hour flight from Denver back to Charlotte, uh, it's, a rows of, it's two rows of three. So you got three people on this side, three people on this side. So in that row, it's me and my wife and my four children and like one poor soul who has to sit with us and and, and betsy my my daughter who will be two in february is is in lap okay and um 
On the way there was a pretty smooth flight. She spent a lot of time in the aisle making friends, which she loves to do. She had a good time. But on the way back, there was uh, like just enough turbulence the whole time that the fastened seatbelt sign was on the was on the entire flight. And so she had to she had to stay in in our laps. And uh, you know, if you're 20 months old or if you're 19 months old, uh, an airplane, which she think she thought we were throwing a bus, she would just look around. It is a bus. It's kind of a scary environment. It's kind of a stressful environment. It's kind of an uncomfortable environment. And we kept trying to like put her down so she could stand. The flight attendant kept coming by and saying, I'm, I'm so sorry, but with the fast seatbelt on, I, she's going to have to stay in your lap. And so we would put her back on her lap. And for three hours straight, she just yelled and screamed. It was, it was horrible. It was horrible for us. It was really horrible for this like random lady who was sitting over here thinking she would have a peaceful few hours to catch up on some reading. And, and we're passing her back and, and forth, Maggie and I, and you know, we're, we're hugging her and we're kissing her and we're singing to her and we're telling her that everything's fine and we'll be there soon and we love her. And it didn't do anything to calm her down. She did not believe that she was safe. She did not believe that it was appropriate to be happy. She was living out of this stressful environment. And my child, and if, you, if you've met my kids, she's like, she's the happy kid. She's my fun kid. She's my always smile kid. She's like the one who will give a high five to anybody. She, I mean, she just never cries, and she cried for three hours straight. And, and it really felt like, like she is not being herself right now. She's slipped back into baby mode all of a sudden, to newborn mode where you just cry at things. And, and, and I think about our lives in, in moments where we're in high-stress situations, where we're uncomfortable, where we're frustrated, where we're angry, where we're disappointed, where we don't know what's going on, and we have that disorientation of life. It, things, all, all kinds of things do this to us, right? Relational trauma does this to us. Midterms do this to us. Who am I going to live with junior year? Does it? Like all these things. We're registering for classes right now. What if I don't get in my major and I end up cleaning gutters the rest of my life, right? And, and, and what happens is we, we forget to be ourselves. We forget to live as free, beloved children of God. And God's voice to us, whether we are ready to hear it or not, is you're safe because you're in my arms. It's okay because I love you. I am going to protect you. The reward that you have, forgiveness and life, nothing can take it away because I accomplished it in my love. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you for dying for us to free us from sin and rising from the dead to give us life. Lord, I pray that we would learn to have the wisdom to pay attention when we are slipping back into the old ways of thinking, when we're living out of insecurity and fear, when we're believing that our worth and our sufficiency comes from our own hands instead of from yours. Help us to live like the beloved and redeemed children that we are. I pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.